Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. And welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about on Wednesday, the 19th of October. I am Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on today's show, James Corden and when we started expecting celebrities to be nice. Plus, what is vanilla shaming and why is it on the rise? And does the world need more desk bombers? But first... Everywhere you go... In case you missed it, my favourite story of the week is the Bureau of Meteorology announcing, apropos of nothing, that you're not allowed to call them the bomb anymore, B-O-M. It's a shame it was cute. It was all anyone called it. It was their name that they'd given us for a long time. Never mind that you'd think the Bureau of Meteorology would have bigger fish to fry this week. There's flooding in the eastern states of of Australia. We need you right now, bomb, and we don't need you rebranding because there are more critical pieces of information we need. But they said that BOMB doesn't reflect the insights, wisdom, data and information that they offer. And basically, they don't think it denotes enough respect for what they do. (laughs) This speaks to a broader problem. And this is what I keep thinking. And it's about when people try and give themselves a nickname or a new name. And I've seen friends do this. I had a boyfriend years ago who just one day went, I need a nickname, made one up, never stuck. (laughs) You can't tell people in a press release like this, don't call us bomb. But this is the opposite because this is everyone's given them a nickname and they don't want it. But what's weird is they gave us this nickname in the first place. Did like they? they called themselves bomb and yeah. then they were like, the other side of the story was they were going, we're changing all our handles. Their website URL is bomb. Yeah, that app, I have it on my phone, oh. bomb. Yeah. So did you know that it cost $70,000 for this rebrand? I can't. Believe me, however shocked you are, that I am doing this job, you will never be as shocked as I am. (laughs) Welcome to the Late Late Show, everybody. Please stop watching Carpool Karaoke immediately. That man is not nice. If you've never seen an entire episode of James Corden's chat show, The Late Late Show, and why would you? I never have. Exactly, because it's screened in the US at 11.30pm because Americans like to stay up late, right? You've definitely seen bits of it. You've seen James do carpool karaoke with everyone from Madonna to Adele to Britney to Bruno Mars. Hello? It's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to meet. He's done a rap battle with Dame Helen Mirren. He went on a tour of LA on a rooftop bus with Prince Harry while they drank cups of tea. Oh, that's right. Hey! This is subtle. Where's the Range Rover? I don't always drive around in a Range Rover. I thought this would be a nice way to see LA. You get it, right? He's an Englishman in the US who's taken on one of its holy grails, the late night talk show, and done very, very well. But he is also not a very nice person, according to reports. (laughs) This 
week, you might have seen that the owner of a very fancy New York City restaurant that prides itself on its celebrity clientele, it's called Balthazar. Yeah, I was there a few months ago. Oh, look at you. I went to Balthazar, uh, Balthazar, however you say it. Balthazar. Yes, because great for celebrity spotting. And we went there. We thought everyone was famous. Don't actually think we spotted any famous people. Lovely restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know what? Mm, you're fine. Service could have been better, which is just interesting <laughs> context. Continue with your story. Because Balthazar <laughs> is run by this guy called Keith McNally. And he outed James Corden this week on social media as being a terrible human, which is very unusual for the owner of a celebrity restaurant because their discretion is a large part of why celebrities go to them right is that they're not necessarily going to tell you what they're doing in the toilets or what Mm. you know whether they ordered any carbs or whatever it is right but he said that James was the most abusive customer to his waitstaff he'd had in 25 years and he spelt out two incidences when James was very rude but this isn't the only time that Corden has been called out for being a terrible person. Jesse, you did a whole cancelled on him. What else is he alleged to have done? The most famous story that's always told about James Corden is him being on a plane and there was a crying baby seated a few seats down. Uh-oh. And um, this baby wouldn't stop crying. And someone was watching, kind of knowing that there had been some rumours about him not being very nice. And not once did he comment on the crying baby. He was quite accepting of the crying baby. Then at the end of the um, flight, the woman next to him stood up and went to get her carry-on luggage and this person noticed that James Corden wasn't really helping her. And then she turned to him and said, can you at least help me with the luggage? And it became clear that that was his wife and the crying baby <laughs> was his baby. Now that, That's the story. That may or, or may, may not, not be, be true. true. But it's a fun story. And then there are lots about rudeness in cafes. There is a very famous story of a co-star early in his career sitting him down and saying, I can't defend your behaviour anymore because apparently he was getting very irritable and bratty and that was becoming his reputation. And this guy said, this is indefensible, pull it together. So here's my question. These offences, if they are true, may make it clear that he is likely a bit of a dick, James Corden. Maybe not all the time, but often enough, because if he's absolutely horrible to work with, he probably wouldn't be where he is now. But obviously often enough that it makes stories. It isn't new. Lists of celebrities who are bad tippers or rude to wait staff or whatever are all over the internet. You can find them if you want to. But these days, it feels like there is a push right now in particular about Corden, but not only Corden, to cancel the dudes and women, more women, Mm. we'll get to that, who are not nice. And I want to know, can you be cancelled for being a bit of a dick? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when your brand is built on being the kind of guy you'd like to be friends with. So whenever I watch James Corden, and I love carpool karaoke, I know that it's become a little bit like people roll their eyes now. I love it. I think he's really funny. And you watch it and go, he's the kind of guy you'd sit with and like, have a little sing in the car, right? That's his whole brand. So then when you hear that he has this incredible reputation, there are threads on the internet dedicated to this guy's awful, you sort of think, oh, that doesn't look real. I can now see through the veneer of this funny... But there are threads on the internet dedicated to how awful you are. Yeah, yeah, true, true. There are whole websites dedicated (laughs) to how awful I am and Facebook pages. (laughs) It's interesting because when you were describing his show and the sort of the role he plays, it's very Ellen. Yeah. And that was the last person that I feel at this level for 
let's say, fairly minor transgressions. I mean, you know, he didn't punch a waiter in the face. And make no mistake, I've been a waiter. I judge people completely on how they treat any kind of service personnel, waiters, doormen, drivers, all of that kind of stuff. Anyone who's in a serving position to you when they are not equal and they can't tell you to get stuffed, if you're a dick to them, you're a dick. Like, because that's punching down in the worst way, right? I think he clearly is a dick. But would this be a story if it was, I don't know, Robert De Niro or Mm. like it would if it was Tom Cruise? I don't know when we expected famous people to be nice because I entirely... When it's their brand. Yeah, I get that, right? But it's entirely true what you just said, Mia, about, I mean, I'm fully on board. If you're publicly mean to anyone, but specifically people of a lower social standard, it tells you everything about that person. But also, you don't get to be James Corden if you are a lovely, apologetic, I don't push myself forward, I don't have an ego. He came from nothing, right? He was a comedy writer in England. The reason I used to like him is because of Gavin and Stacey. There would be people who listen to this show who there's a very famous English sitcom called Gavin and Stacey that he co-created with his mate. What is it about a group of people ordering an Indian or Chinese or something that is somehow unexpectable to eat your own food that you order yourself? Because it's nice. No, it's not. Not for me. They're all dipping into mine going, oh, yours is really nice. like, yes, it is. That's why I ordered it. In fact, forget it. I want no part of it. I'll order my own. I'll eat it in the car. I'm out. And it became a sensation. And he went from that to being on a Broadway show to having his own talk show in America. Now, that is an amazing trajectory. And I remember listening to an interview with him when he first got the Late Late Show with Mark Maron. And the barely disguised hostility that Mark Maron and I assume as an extension the sort of American comedic class had for this guy who just rolled up out of nowhere, Uh. is a chubby little Englishman. He's spoken a lot about being fat shamed over and over again in Hollywood Mm. and takes on one of the most coveted roles in Hollywood. I'm sorry, but generally speaking, people who are that ambitious are not going to be the loveliest humans on the planet. And you could say the same for Ellen DeGeneres, you know, being an Mm. openly gay woman who is hosting a daytime talk show in a very conservative country. You've got to be ego. You've got to be ego and you've got to be pushy. And you've got to hustle. And I'm not excusing him. And I love in some ways, we've talked a lot about how nice is a stick that we beat women with. Mm. And I think it's kind of good if it's a stick we beat everyone with to a point because it costs nothing to be nice and all that stuff. But we're kind of kidding ourselves if we think that the kind of what it takes to get to the top of an intensely competitive industry doesn't take a certain amount of steel. But he's also not being cancelled. He's just being called out. I feel like being that, a I dick, think this right? is the end of James Corden. I feel like of it's building, it's building, building, yeah. building, building. Just like it did for Ellen. She really had to let the show go because ratings plummeted so much. People went, you are not your on-screen persona, which was always unfair because no one can be their on-screen persona 24 hours a day for 25, mm. 30 years. You just can't. She and never claimed to be when that. when your on-screen persona is so nice and mm. jolly, that becomes a straitjacket. I think as well that in terms of when we demanded that all celebrities be nice, I think we demanded it the second every single human being had a phone in their hands and access to out anyone. This guy who has said this, the amount, we now know his name, he's got lots and lots of followers on Instagram, incredible advertising for his restaurant. You know, this Mm. meant that he all of a sudden had similar power to James Corden. I mean, 20 years ago, you could have a story about a celebrity not being nice and you might call up a tabloid and get it printed. 
this is very different. Very true. And the way that it's ended today, or I don't think it's ended because I agree with you, I think that the building against mm. him is quite significant. Keith, the Balthazar owner, has said that he's rescinded the ban on James Corden because James Corden called him up himself and apologised. So he didn't deny that it was all true, but he apologised and said, I'm very sorry. So he's like, okay, I believe in second chances. So I didn't believe in second chances when you posted the whole thing to the internet, did you? <laughs> what a privilege it is to be given a show like... Mother Mia Out Loud! And uh, I-, I will really do my best not to let any of you down, truly. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Vanilla's a boring flavor. By now you should know that I am a boring vanilla bitch. There's a new way to make women feel bad about sex, and it's called vanilla shaming. In case you're wondering what vanilla sex is, it's broadly defined as sex without kinks. So it's kind of no frills, missionary, no handcuffs, definitely no No tricky lingerie, Mm. must take place in a bed. No whips. No It's respectful, probably loving, probably just in one position as discussed. Probably that position is going to be missionary and maybe girl on top on special occasions. So (laughs) basically it's the opposite of anything kinky. And what's interesting about this is that until recently, the people most likely to be shamed for the sex they enjoy were the ones who liked kinky sex. So all the flavours that aren't vanilla, maybe BDSM, maybe tricky positions or role play or more than one partner at a time or maybe needing someone to call you Princess Leia and wave a lightsaber around for you to have mm. an orgasm. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. basically what Holly yep. does on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> but what changed and what's changed about kink shaming is the massive proliferation of porn and porn culture and the sex positivity movement and Fifty Shades. So that's been really good in helping to destigmatize the different ways that people enjoy consensual sex. So maybe not just the kind of sex that they have in the Bible or in Where Did I Come From, if anyone is old enough to remember that book. (laughs) I do. So what's happened, unfortunately, is that a byproduct of the pushback against kink shaming is a rise in vanilla shaming. And that's about making women, mostly women, feel bad if the sex they're having or enjoying is too boring. This all came to a head this week when Hannah Vanderpeer, who's a writer in the UK, she saw a tweet that said, do you ever just look at a couple and think, God, they must be having boring sex? And she wrote an article about it uh, in the breakdown and she said, I choked slightly on my toast as I was reading that tweet. So many thoughts began to circulate around my mind surrounding subjectivity, individual tastes and how the sex positivity movement wasn't solely cultivated for the kink community. Despite each of these formulated nuggets of information, I simply typed out an uber quick quote tweet, what an asshole." <laughs> She said, this was vanilla shaming at its most socially acceptable, thousands of people collectively laughing at the dreaded idea that someone might have sex differently to how they have sex. Jesse, how do you have sex? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, has been wanting to ask you that question for a long time. I'll answer a different question because I can answer whatever question I want. I like that. 
accusing someone of having boring vanilla sex is the new accusing someone of being frigid. So I think that because generally people are having sex potentially at a younger age and talking about it more and more. I keep hearing that young people don't have as much sex. They don't have as much. They'll have it, you know, once at 15 or whatever and then they'll have a little dry spell. But they will have sex and it used to be in high school someone will say you're frigid because you haven't done X, Y, Z. Now it's not because you haven't had sex. It's because you haven't used handcuffs or it's because you won't let someone mm. choke you so or you slap you. So you get called a prude and a basic yeah. bitch. Yeah, even though yeah. you're having sex, you just have guidelines around what you do and don't like. Mm. Maybe I agree that it's mostly women, but I actually think that vanilla shaming happens to I men think too. You're right. I think you're right. I think it's probably couples and probably straight couples yeah. that are vanilla shamed. And I think that men speak less about their sex lives. Women are very open with their mates and so you can get into a bit of a one-upping conversation or a culture where everyone goes, you only do that. Like I do these wild adventurous things with my partner. And I think that because of pornography, because of TikTok, because of how much we're all talking about it, because of sex podcasts where everyone seems to be having more interesting sex than you, everyone's a little bit ashamed maybe because they're going, we're not doing it upside down, inside out. I was at a wedding recently and somehow in the speech it came up that the bride and groom had notoriously had sex one time in the bathrooms at a winery they'd been visiting. That's adventurous. It made me feel a bit vanilla because they've been together for quite a long time before they got married. And I just thought, wow, that's great. (laughs) I'm just trying really hard not to identify those people in my response to that particular statement. That story makes me think it's not necessarily new. We've always been fascinated, particularly people in long-term monogamous relationships Mm -hmm. have always been fascinated by other people having more exciting sex than them. And I would argue that because I know that sometimes this vanilla shaming argument, I read a column by Nikki Gemmell about it on the weekend too, often goes hand in hand with the idea, but women love vanilla sex and they shouldn't be. And the thing is, is it's not only men who don't want vanilla sex. Women are often in long-term relationships looking around and going, can we, like, Oh yeah. can we mix this up? Can we do something different? Yeah. And that's why they're obsessed with what other people are doing. That's why they want to know, like, does their best friend do it more? That curiosity is not new. And that pressure, I think, we feel to keep things fresh in the bedroom, in inverted commas, mm. has been around forever. But clearly what's new here is this component of porn and this factor of it getting sort of younger and younger and that it's your steps into being a sexual being are not really complete unless you've ticked all these things yeah. off it. It's like there are more bases now. There used to be kind of for hetero people, it was kind of P and V was the final base. But now it's like there are eight more bases that yeah. you're expected to hit. And maybe we also are more sexually literate. Eight like bases. <laughs> when I was a teenager, sex was one thing and it was P and V sex, mm. right? Whereas now we have an understanding that sex is a whole array of things. And I think that's probably very positive and ideally not pushing people into doing this one particular act and that that's all that matters with sex. But it seems with this vanilla shaming and all the articles about it, it always feels like with any steps forward, we then have to hold it up and throw rocks at it. So it's a binary proposition where if Mm. we're saying that kinks in inverted commas are good, then we have to say that vanilla is bad. When really I'm sure we are capable of thinking that all these things are good if everyone's happy and having a good time. Yeah, I think it's the everyone's happy thing. But I also want to push back on this idea of hierarchies. And you don't just see it in terms of sex 
one type of sex being superior to another. I know this sounds like a tangent, but I've noticed it creeping up in birth stories as well, that the ultimate type of birth is perceived to be one that's no drugs. And then it sort of goes all the way down and the worst, in quote marks, the least desirable is the one that's a cesarean. I just think that idea of who gets to decide? Mm. Who and gets it's, to it's decide when, which type of sex or which type of birth or, you know, which type of clothes? Who gets to decide what's better than someone else? Yeah, and I, I also do think that on the sex positivity thing, we shouldn't assume as well that kinks, while that does seem to be very in our world, I've heard Abby Chatfield saying some really interesting things. She is kind of a proponent of have sex however you want and she has spoken more openly than any mm. woman in pop culture I've ever seen. She's spoken openly about anal sex. And she was speaking about that and every time she she does she's overwhelmed with comments of people saying you just do that because men like it you'll just do whatever a man tells you to and that's a different way of shaming and again yep. and that it's, shame is still out there it's mm. absolutely still out there so I think that when Abby Chatfield jumps on and normalizes that she's not saying that if you don't do it you're a prude it's just that we're all having sex in lots of different ways and no one should be forced to do anything they don't want to and we're all insecure about the ways that we are yeah <laughs> If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers. If you work in an office or you have a staff room, then there's a term for something you've absolutely experienced and it's called desk bombing. Imagine you're sitting at your desk and you're working away, you're deep in thought, you're concentrating, and someone has begun to hover just beside you. You can see them out of the corner of your eye. And they're waiting for you to look up, but then they just interrupt you. And all of a sudden, you're thrown out of the work you were doing and they want to catch up about something, follow up on a task. Oh, I was going to send you an email, but I thought you're right here. That is called desk bombing. In an article by Polita Clark for the Financial Times, she writes that the fear of desk bombing someone is part of a pattern that seems to be kind of more and more popular, which is an outbreak of overweening shyness in the workplace or intolerance of interruption that is at best self-destructive and at worst unproductive and annoying. She argues that we should all be desk bombing more often and we need to get over the anxiety of unscheduled office conversations. Mia, you desk bomb me sometimes. You I desk love bomb desk- everybody. Yeah, you kind of, you creep. And I don't like it when people desk bomb me. And just before I walked into the studio today, I was desperately prepping, yeah. running late, and a couple of people desk bombed me, yeah. knocked on my door. And I thought having my door closed of my office yeah. was a fairly good sign, but no. Yeah. So, yes, you know where no one can desk bomb you? At home. Mm. And I think this is a larger phenomenon that we are all experiencing about the absolute distaste for and avoidance at all costs of unscheduled social encounters, whether it's your phone ringing, someone coming over to talk to you. Imagine a drop-in. Oh, my God. A drop-in at your home. Anything spontaneous, which is interesting because this idea of fear of interruption we're in a culture where we're constantly interrupting ourselves. We're yep. constantly seeking interruption with this notification, go check Facebook, go read my texts. We are constantly interrupting ourselves, but we don't like it when anyone interrupts us. The example in this story that you're talking about was this, right? 
She said, I'd heard from a man who'd spent days vainly emailing a woman to get something approved, even though she sat within eyesight in the same office. With time ticking on, my colleague got fed up and said, why don't you just go over and ask her to approve it? And the other man, visibly appalled, said, no, I'm not just going to go over and desk bomb her. Now, this is why this is insane. Your fear of desk bombing is insane. Because yes, it's irritating when you're working on something and you're in deep work and somebody comes over and interrupts you. But what is also insane is to be so worried about walking over to somebody and say, excuse me, can I ask you something that you would let a project just like die on the vine? Because everybody's different, right? And I hate emails, hate them. If you want me to do something, don't freaking email me about it. I would much rather you came over and said, excuse me. But the thing is, is if I'm interrupting you and taking you away from something that's annoying, but how am I ever going to communicate with you? And if nobody wants in-person communication, then why come to an office at all? Why not just stay at home? Because the bus makes us. <laughs> because in some yeah. places and a lot of buses are forcing people to come know, back to work. But also a lot of people want to come back, but yep. they want to come back, but they don't want anyone to talk to them. So what's the point of coming back no, if you don't want anyone to talk to I you? I disagree that they don't want anyone to talk to them. That's fine, right? The situation where someone's sitting there and you just need something approved and it'll take 10 seconds. You don't know how many times that person has been desk bombed that hour. You don't know that actually she has a list of 45 priorities and yours is 44. So, Jesse, what's the alternative? Sending an invitation to a meeting? Meeting or saying sometimes, and I'm actually behind this, someone will send you a quick slack and go, can we have a five-minute chat? And I'll go, can I come over and meet you in 10 minutes? And that works for me, right? Especially, and this is different for all workplaces. But your 10 minutes doesn't work for her. Well, then we'll do it in 15. You just have a quick chat. <laughs> but you could have had the chat in the time that it no, takes to arrange no. the chat. No, yes. chatting. We have an instant messaging system at Mamma Mia. I know lots of people do. We use Slack. Lots of companies do. Endlessly having to arrange mm. things on Slack, meetings, calls, all those things mm. is time. Conversations. It is time, but I think that what you get is a degree of irritability. And I think that it's the pressures of the modern workplace. It's like don't hate the worker who is incredibly overwhelmed and mm. can't afford to be desk bombed right now. You kind of have to look at the structure of it, which is that if you live in a deadline-driven workplace, which a lot of people do, and you're madly prepping for a 2 o'clock meeting, and if you are not prepped, you are going to look like an idiot and you are going to let people down – then someone coming and sitting on your desk and going, I really want to talk to you about next January, you're going to want to punch them in the face. It is quite hard. What do you say in that well, situation? Well, what you can say, and I do do this a lot, is I say, I can't right now. You know, can we do it later? Which is the same thing that you're doing on yeah. Slack, right? But you can say no, right? You can say no to immediate interactions. You can. And I know it's pulled you out of your concentration, People have written Pulitzer Prize winning investigations in busy newsrooms before headphones, right? Like, But you know, we, I bet that they weren't being desk bombed. I bet they were because no. there was no slack. I yes, reckon. In fact, their phone would have been ringing all the time yeah. because there was no other way to communicate. So, and there was no caller ID, so who knew who and was I on the other And I know I sound like a grandma when I say that stuff, but what my genuine concern about it is, is that if we are only comfortable with interaction by appointment, 
we are making ourselves miserable. Like Johan Hari talks about this all the time, is that if we only allow communication on our terms, we cut ourselves off into ever narrower slivers of silos because my terms are different to your terms and our terms are never going to mix. And so maybe we'll never have that conversation. How many times have you and me tried to have <laughs> meetings that we never, ever have? We don't have them. But so, I thought we were both happy about we, Look, we are. It's fine. And if there's a problem, we know we'll talk about yes. it, right? So I think that there's an understanding... There is a dark side to desk bombing. I am willing to accept though, right? There's a hierarchy involved because generally you don't desk bomb the boss. Exception here, Mia, people do come and harass mm. you all the time. But In their defense, Mia me. should be somewhere no, no, no. else when well, they desk well, bomb her. True. So yeah, they're probably no, they trying to drag you. her. That's the wrong question. But no. they're, they're trying to get your attention. They so they come and knock or they come to But the hard thing is I like to come to the office, right? I work best in an environment. I also want to get out of my house. Hmm. But I have started wearing big headphones to sort of signal. And I think that the answer to not being desk bombed is headphones. Even if you've just got nothing on them, Mm. it's a signal that says, hey, please don't. And some people still do. And I'm terrible because sometimes I do still when people are wearing headphones. But I think if we can all just agree in society that if someone is wearing headphones, don't interrupt them. I have a quick recommendation. I've been looking for so long for a really good stand-up special. There's been a bit of a dry spell. There's a bunch I've started watching and I haven't... If I don't laugh in the first 10 minutes, I turn it off. I don't have have time. I'm a busy woman. I just want to have some laughs on cue. Eliza Schlesinger, who is the comedian who did Elder Millennial, which we talked about on this podcast, has a new one and it is called Hot Forever. It is really, really good. Every girl's got an ugly bra. It's the longest relationship you've ever been in. People don't understand. They don't understand our connection to ugly bra. They're like, why don't you get rid of her? She's so ugly. And we're like, well, because she does me right and she's a hard worker. And she has this whole bit about that bra and how really it's only the middle hook that's like hanging on by dear life. And she says the only colour it can be described as is like a purpley beige. And I was like, (laughs) oh, my God, I have that bra. Anyway, she does some really funny bits. She's just had a baby six months ago. She talks about post-baby body stuff. She touches on Roe vs. Wade. Really laugh out loud funny. It's brilliant. It's on Netflix. It is called Hot Forever. If you're looking for something else to listen to and you can't get enough of hearing us talk about work, <laughs> yesterday's subset is about the big quit and millennials have had enough. And there's stats about how there are 2 million Australians right now who are ready to quit their jobs and how lots of those people are in the Gen Z age bracket. The idea being it's better to have no job than a job that makes you unhappy. And we unpack that. The link to that will be in our show notes. Thank you for listening. This episode has been produced by Emma Gillespie with audio production by Leah Porges. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.